0: The Telegraph. Telegraph. Podcasts. This week's guest... (laughs) Oh my God! This week's guest has bought us chocolate. Don't talk with your mouth full, I know, but I can do what I want. It's my podcast. She's bought us the poshest version of a bounty bar ever. It's Melissa Hemsley. Whee! <laughs> Happy Easter! Who, um, you know, cook chef, food writer, home, home cook, home less cook. pressure, home cook, home cook. I always think choose a title
2: with less as least pressure as possible. I'm gonna literally inhale this. It's really now. nice and stuck in your teeth, isn't it? It's lovely, and you get a bit for later on. It's amazing.
0: Is it real chocolate?
2: Yeah, it's like our version of a the bar that begins with B that I will not name. So it's coconut and dark chocolate. And we call it the Paradise Bar. So I was just at my cafe in Selfridges, little mm-hmm. plug there, and um, <laughs> I thought, what would the ladies like? What might go down well that they could have a little, little chomp on?
0: There's two, there's more ladies. I want to, sorry, Kim. Kim is the producer of this show and she's the she's the real star of the show each week. She's the one that edits all of this and she is sitting here also enjoying a Paradise Bar. Anyway, She's even sniffing it. Wafting. <laughs> <laughs> Melissa has a book out called Eat Happy, which we will talk about in a bit. But first of all, I'm going to do the first question I ask everyone with my mouth full of chocolate, which is, how are you really right now? You, we all know this by now. We all know this question. I don't have to explain it to you.
2: I'm very tired Mm-hmm. I'm quite tired. I feel bouncy because it's a crispy day outside. So I had a lovely day just getting um, incredibly lost on Buckingham Palace Road. It is a real nightmare of yeah. a street, isn't it? It's not. It's Yet, I did get some good sun in my face, which I'm thankful for. So I feel really good about that. I'm feeling quite tired. I've been doing loads, travelling loads with the book tour. But overall, I'm pretty pleased. I feel like I'm in a, a good spot. I spent all of yesterday in bed. I gave myself the day off, which I don't usually do and never used to. And now I'm all about giving myself a day off. I was just feeling a bit overwhelmed, feeling a bit run down, so I lay in bed all day, made a soup, cuddled my dog, and watched The Inbetweeners, which I've never watched before. What do you, do you mean like that you've show? Never watched I know. Between I started at episode one, and I just died laughing. I actually, got a bit of a six
0: pack laughing Now well, there you go. That was the way to so a six pack. Do you
2: like betweeners?
0: I know I I've really like missed a boat on that one. Actually, I remember a therapist saying to me once, you know, do lots of little things that make you happy, paint your nails, watch a show that makes you happy. And I thought, if you think my chronic obsessive compulsive disorder, which occasionally makes me think I'm a serial killing paedophile, is going to go away by painting my nails or watching an episode of Friends, you are fucking madder than me. But I get what she means. And actually now I see it's the lots of doing lots of little positive things in your life add up and actually watching a comedy that's like half an hour 20 25 minutes because I find when you're feeling low and lethargic it's very difficult to concentrate on stuff yeah you don't want to be watching like a
2: scandy noir with and subtitles it's easy to make the negatives more extreme if you're watching a scary show like Your enthusiasm some people are like oh it's really funny but I just end that's up watching dark. the awkwardness and just getting more stressed out
0: yeah, that's deeply cynical. That's not an uplifting... So, in-betweeners,
2: I think yeah. it was quite good for me. in between us, silly, silly boys talking about penises and... Bus wankers. Yeah. Very so are we, funny. Are we allowed
0: to say this? Are we allowed to say wankers, penises... <laughs> On it <laughs> <laughs> um, <But> not PG. <laughs> I like that thing of taking a day off. I think we're all a bit scared of stopping and just noticing when things might be about to kind of spin out of control. And often if we did that and we took that one day, the benefit to your mental health and your physical health, it means that a month down the line you're not having a complete breakdown. Oh
2: God, it was amazing. It came back in good vibes tenfold. I mean, even just knowing that I could have taken the day off Even just knowing that I didn't have to go anywhere all day. I mean, I was really feeling like coldy and, you know, like, you know, when you get dagger throat, I Mm -hmm. could feel it coming on. And I felt so terrible cancelling on people. But then I thought to myself, oh, why am I putting myself through this day? And, you know, when the night before you've got to go and do something and you just don't feel mentally, physically ready for it. You don't sleep that night. So Mm -hmm. I thought I'll lose a night of sleep. I won't perform to my best. You know what I mean by perform. And just knowing that I didn't have to go anywhere and I could focus on getting better. And then I woke up this morning feeling so much better so much better and it was just giving myself permission to go it's okay and funnily enough the one call I managed to keep onto was a call with your mate Jada
0: oh my gosh Jada we need to get her on the podcast has she not been on yet no Jada for anyone listening she's been away hasn't she Jada Cesar is a plus size model and a mental health campaigner and I am running the London Marathon with her frighteningly close We at Jada and I are doing the marathon in our underwear. Oh, wow, I didn't know that bit. To to prove that curvy girls can. You don't have to be an athlete to run a marathon, although it certainly helps. Um, And you've got all the tips now because this is your second marathon, isn't it? It is, yeah. People that have listened to this podcast. They know all about it. They know I've run a marathon. There's no one listening to this podcast who doesn't know that that I've run a marathon and interviewed Prince Harry. (laughs) No one I've ever met. Has been kept in the dark about those two facts. We're here to talk about you. So you had a chat with Jada, who's yeah. amazing. Everyone go follow her on Instagram, Love at Jada, Jada Cesar. So we're doing something together um, later in the week. Yeah, sorry, we
2: do stuff without you. We'll do it all what? together now. Yeah, we've done a couple of stuff together and then we're doing something together later in the week. And she just hits the nail on the head straight away. So I was talking and then, you know, for every 12 words that I use, she just gets it. So she was like, you cannot pour from an empty cup. And I've been thinking about that all day today. Mm. We don't have to be overflowing with the energy and all the good stuff, but... I just saw it coming and like you said being aware of when something's coming when you're starting to slow down when you need it so don't wait for the day when you're just having the don't wait the moment. for the breakdown don't wait for <laughs> it so I could feel it coming and I just went oh and I kept going oh I'm, I'm going to let so many people down no one cared no, no I was one. polite I gave them as much notice as possible I'll make it up to them And I feel so much better. And that's why when you said, how are you? I was like, well, I'm tired, but I'm feeling good. I'm proud of myself for giving myself a nice day. That sounds silly, does not
0: it? I think there's lots of people listening who that will really chime with. Because I think we're always really scared of cancelling stuff and like stopping and going, I'm not, especially with mental health. Because unless, you know, it's so difficult to say, excuse me, can I have a day off? Yeah, I, last week, felt really, really, really like everything was... Getting on top of me, and I'm really lucky that I have bosses who go, "Whoa, go and take a day off. Just go and breathe, because we don't want you going back to rehab for three months." <laughs> but even I find it really difficult to kind of call up my boss and say my head's not feeling right in a way that I would have no problem doing if I had the flu, for example. Yeah, and you know, if even I have that problem. And I'm someone who talks very loudly about mental health. What hope does everyone else have? So I think that's a really powerful message to give to people.
2: And for the bosses or whoever's in charge of offices and all these things, to listen out for it. One of my things that I do is call someone. Call them, hear their voice, let them hear yours. And it is sometimes about reading between the lines. So if you're the employer getting that email or getting that phone call, really listening and being like, are they telling me everything? Are they hoping I ask another question? Are they hoping I ask after them? do they want to tell me more you know i'm a an employer of one person <laughs> and i really try i really try and listen out for the things that are behind what's being said and even with my mates as well you know how you said how are you i love it because it's harder to hide on the phone we can hear each other's voices it's so easy isn't it to whatsapp and social media the emoticons but i'm now my 2018 resolution was to listen out more for my friends and let them Hear me too rather than just brush it all off Mm. over and over. You know, I'm on my book tour and almost, you know, when someone asks how you are, but they already say, Oh, but you must be Mm. so happy, your book's saying, Well, you must be loving life, you're traveling everywhere. And they've almost, then I don't want to
0: tell them I'm I'm absolutely knackered. Yeah, you don't want to appear ungrateful. (laughs) Exactly. But we all feel that way sometimes. Yeah.
2: Uh, It's a funny one. I'm trying not to use the word fine anymore. Yeah. Because often, the word fine is used in place of when things are completely not fine fine
0: fine fine yeah how are you I haven't asked how you are me right now you said said you've you you had a funny person to ask me back how I am like literally no one has ever shame on the former guests of this podcast even Prince Harry Um, no he probably did because he's very polite He's I'm still holding that paradise bar. I am nearly finished it. I mean, I'm. She's I'm, got very chocolatey fingers. I'm, happy. I'm very happy because I have chocolate in one hand and I have you in front of me. And <laughs> I'm feeling very grateful today. Grateful. I'm grateful. I'm grateful. That's my thing as well, my gratitude list. Yeah, I do one of those every day. I think it's important. But I'm feeling quite overwhelmed, but that's good. I'd rather feel overwhelmed is good. But anyway, let's talk about you. Melissa, I've only met you once before, but you have like such a positive vibe and such amazing energy. You're like a ray of sunshine. Even you know, the way you dress obviously this is a podcast, you can't see it, but Whenever I'm looking at you on Instagram, you're always wearing these fabulous, like yellow, beautiful, like pinks, and you're just a real ray of sunshine. So tell me about the times when you feel like it's raining on you. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) enough of all that. Let's get down to the nitty gritty. Well, my dad,
2: our dad, mine and Jazz's dad died about three, it'll be four years in November. Mm -hmm. And I always find now a little bit tricky because his birthday is April the 6th, Mm -hmm. and it's also mum and dad's anniversary. And I was thinking about you all this week in the lead up to this. And actually, I don't know if anyone else who's listening does this. Do you ever imagine being on this show? Because <laughs> <laughs> I did. And then when when she asked me, I was like, no! No! <laughs> emailed every single person I knew. And then he didn't email me back for ages. And I thought, oh, God, she's, she doesn't want me anymore. And then he emailed me again. And I was like,
0: ah! I'm just
2: eating chocolate. I was too busy eating chocolate. <laughs> but when you ask people things on this podcast, I sort of have my own answers going on in the head. And it was funny because I was thinking about back to the fine, fine, I'm fine. For ages and ages and ages, I'm still not anywhere significantly through my grieving process. And one of the things I did do when he was dying and then died was go, oh, I'm going to go do something where I can grieve. So I kept saying, I didn't really know where I'd got it from. Maybe I'd read it somewhere, but I was like, I just need somewhere where I can go and cry for a week or a weekend, or I need a safe place where I can let it all out. And basically this room. The room mm-hmm. is very padded in here, yeah, and soundproofed and dark and almost womb-like, but not quite. Like you yeah. could jazz it up a bit. You could, you could No, no offense, Kimberly. I'm not saying f- this is great for now, but if you wanted to spend a week in it, it's just
0: been decorated. Has actually just, just sorry, been decorated. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I the
2: room it's, it's very dark. But you know what I mean, like a, a womb room. Yeah, do you know what I mean by a womb room? And I kept saying, I'll do that and then I'll go and cry there and then I'll do my healing there. And I kept saying, I'll do it then, I'll do it then. And when he died, I think I was 29 because my 30th birthday was coming up and I just said to everyone, I don't want to do it, I don't want to celebrate. And everyone said, no, let's celebrate. And I was like, no, I don't want to. It's not that I didn't feel right celebrating, it's just that I didn't feel like putting a face on and posing mm-hmm. for the pictures and planning it all. And, and anyway, before you know it, it's three and a half years later mm-hmm. and I still haven't done that big old cry. And so that's an interesting one for me, I think, because I've avoided going over the process too much. I don't really like to talk about it. But weirdly, the one thing I do like to do, well, not like to, that's the wrong word. When I know someone else is suffering Mm -hmm. with their parent, I'm so there for them Mm -hmm. because I get it. So I find comfort in that, that I can lend an ear to that situation. But... I'm still, if anyone's got any ideas, I'm still struggling with how to process it all.
0: Do you mind me asking how he died?
2: Yeah, sure. Well, he was very ill with cancer, and it was pancreatic and liver towards the end. But I remember he was, seemed to be getting better, and then it just sort of went downhill quite quickly. But only like for the, like the last week. But he was, you know, I, I say getting better. I mean, he was in a hospice, and then he came home, and we had a hospital bed at home, and all the gear... And Jazz and I actually wrote most of our books at his bedside. He went to so many different hospitals. I had amazing nurses and doctors looking after him. I mean, they're incredible. But, you know, I, I don't know what to do with it all. It's really interesting because I, yeah. I
0: think it's something that a lot of... You know, if your parents die when you you are a child obviously it's incredibly hard and I'm not comparing but there is a sort of sense of people coming in and you know people are more likely to talk to young children about it because you feel that they need that care whereas if you're an adult I imagine and you know I'm I feel lucky that my parents are still alive but my husband's mum for example died 10 years ago of cancer and you know it's just like he just went back to work the next day and it's like just carry on because you're a grown up and I think it's the same you know and it's not just death it's like if your parents get divorced when you're a grown up you know you're just well you're a grown up so just deal with it you know you're not a sort of four year old orphan Annie or whatever And I think it's really important to talk about that stuff because it's still fucking painful, Mm, right?
2: mm. And I just say to my mum, I'm like, don't you go anywhere in a hurry. Because, you know, I've just... (laughs) No pressure, mum. Stay alive. But it's a funny one. But honestly, the only way I know how to deal with it is to be there for other people. When someone says one of my parents isn't well, I'm like... I've got you.
0: Also, is it like, I think in life we find our tribes. Yeah. And although it doesn't, it's not comforting to know that other people are going through the same pain you are, there is a comfort in finding yeah. other people who have experienced the same thing and holding them close. My boyfriend
2: and I, it's obviously not funny, but we say we've got the dead dad club because he doesn't have a dad either. So, you know, sometimes I'll be like, oh, if we have a kid together, you know, it's not going to have a granddad. But, you know, his dad died when he was young. And I think actually, funnily enough, we, when... My boyfriend and I got together. I managed to get him in to meet my dad before he went. My dad was like, hello. And he was like, my name's Henry. That's Henry. And then my dad was like, hi, I'm Jack. That's my dad. And then he was like, talked to him for about three seconds. And then was like, I have a nice life. (laughs) And then dismissed. You know, he was in the army. But I'm glad that my boyfriend managed to meet him. But it all happened in the first sort of four or five months of our relationship. So it was a real great bonding experience for us. but And as I say, I still don't know what to do with it. You know, I've seen therapists for years, and when it came to talking about the death of a parent, I was like, I just don't want to go through it again. I don't want to talk Mm. about it, all the illness, you know, the heartache, the pain he was going through. It's so sad.
0: You have to go through it. You've got to go through it. You can't go... I heard someone say the other day, with so many things in life, you can't go round it. You have to go through it. It's like that children's storybook, we're going on a bear hunt. We can't go... Over it, we can't go under it, we've got to go through it. <laughs> Anyone with a four year old child will. is it a classic four year old? It's, it's a classic. We're is going it? on a bear hunt. There's a We're song too, catch a big one. Well, I don't know, that's how I read it to my but But um, these kids and they go looking for a bear and they come across all these sort of obstacles like a snowstorm or a everything's uh, in or the way, mud or a river, and they're like, We can't go over it, we can't go under it. Gotta go through it, and I think that's a really amazing metaphor for life. That often we want to kind of skirt around it, or we want to avoid it, and of course we do because pain is painful. And sometimes though, you have to go through it to get out the other end. And this yeah. someone said to me, "If you're going through hell, keep, keep on going." going.
2: <laughs> so true.
0: Well, maybe this is the
2: little bump I needed to sort it out. But it's amazing how you make the excuses for it. When I go to therapy, sometimes I'd be like, "Do you know what?" I'd walk in about. Just not up for an hour of this, and then being deposited back onto the street and having to get on the tube. And when it came to dead dad stuff, as I file it away in my brain, dead dad stuff, like I'm just not ready to do it. But that's what I think. That's why I said to myself, I'll schedule in something in my diary. And of course, it doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. And I feel it bubble away weirdly I'm okay with his death anniversary which is basically December but it's now that it's his birthday which kind of doesn't make sense because we're not really a birthday family but maybe it's the change in seasons like I just always think and I remember um, when he was dying I remember feeling really happy that he got a last summer in Mm. You know, just funny things that pop into your brain. It's so funny the stuff that comes into your brain, isn't it? Like you remember something you've blocked out or... It's not like we had the world's best childhood or anything like that. So it's not like I've got tons of these incredible memories. But I feel sad that as I've got older, I think we would have been better friends. Mm. You know, he was that proper army dad, didn't show any emotion. We grew up on army bases. Jazz and I were always mummy's girls. And I feel like I kind of lost out when I would have most enjoyed... Mm. his company and most realised. But my mum's great because she still will share stories and she loves saying that you got your bossiness from me and your dad we <laughs> are all
0: quite full on our family. We're all quite bossy and think
2: we're right all the time.
0: There's an amazing book that I will give to you because I have it mm. on my desk outside this womb room which I would really suggest anyone who is going through this process at the moment, reads, and it's called With the End in Mind. And it's by a woman called Dr Catherine Mannix, who is a palliative care doctor who has had, got, like, 30 years of experience. And her theory is that just as we have midwives to usher people through into life, we should have midwives who help usher people out to death because yeah. it's the only certainty... Yeah. in life and it's going to happen to all of us and actually if we know how to talk about it and deal with it it makes everything a lot easier and people should be able to plan their deaths and you know it's that thing of even my husband said to me we should do a will and I was like oh, no, <laughs> as if like writing a will would mean I would drop dead the next day yeah.
2: stupid. Do you keep things for your girl? I often wonder what I'll start I don't have a kid yet but what I want to leave to be remembered by by my child, or do you ever keep think about that? Have you got like things that you're like, oh, that was my mum, or just because when we go through my dad's stuff, I'm like, we've got not very many photos because you know mm. that was back in the day before everyone had camera phones. But i just yeah. interested obviously you've got all your articles and lovely books
0: yeah she'll be like I've got enough of my mum to remember thanks <laughs> I'd rather forget she'll have all of these podcasts to listen to oh here we go oh here comes <laughs> mum wanting to talk about her fucking feelings again <laughs> enough enough I don't know it's really interesting I what do you want to be remembered for me? Um, the fact that I ran a marathon and interviewed Prince Harry <laughs> <laughs> have we all got that I mean, one of the things I'm going to remember you for is that amazing paradise. Is it bar. gone now? It's gone. I mean, it's there's gone. a little bit left on the desk here. <laughs> and there's probably a little bit. And I wonder if I've dropped a bit down my top and I there's a bit of a treat on the commute home. I can pull it out. It's tasty, isn't it? Oh, my God. It's so tasty. Let's talk about food. Because okay. your book, Eat Happy, is, you know, it's about like we all know that what we put in our body has a massive effect on the way the mood the way we feel and you and your sister Jasmine have been sort of at the forefront of this kind of positive eating I don't like getting controversial on this podcast because it makes me feel uncomfortable and I don't like feeling uncomfortable but there's the sort of the clean eating thing that people speak about and often you guys are mentioned in that and the sort of Orthorexia. When actually, what's really interesting is when I read your stuff, it's all really healthy. I mean, you're not advocating replacing, you know. Kale, it's buckwheat, I don't know. What is, this? what even is buckwheat? <laughs> but generally, like, <laughs> it all seems like. I love how you healthy. said the word
2: kale. Well, this is it. I was talking to someone and they were like, oh, I don't like kale, so I'm not a healthy eater. And I was thinking, since when did we get it so wrong and, and simplify it, but yet overcomplicate it so much that everyone thinks, if you eat kale, you're great and you're an angel and you're healthy. And if you don't eat kale, you're not. It, it has, it has gone overcomplicated and we've got to bring it all the way back to what works for your body. So. I try and say now to people as well, like, what makes you feel good? Like, what food makes you feel good? That paradise bar, I could tell, brought a sparkle to your eyes. And that's great. And when I make my own puddings, I'm not really much of a sweet tooth person. I'd much rather have some cheese and chutney. Mm. But, you know, if I make my own sweets... I can so appreciate someone else's cake, but then if I'm making something at home, I'm like, well, why don't I try and make it a little bit better? Why don't I try and use whole ingredients and put some fat into it? Because when there's fat in something, it's always going to taste better Mm -hmm. and it's going to be satisfying. And when it comes to dinner, I could order a pad thai or I could make a pad thai at home and put tons of vegetables in it, know Mm -hmm. what's in it, enjoy the cooking process as well, because... I always think of the evening as my wind down into bed. Yeah, like I don't think, oh my gosh, I've got an evening and then it's bedtime. For me anyway, what works for me is thinking of the evening as a wind down to bed, like bed's the event. Mm. So when I- Oh, then what an event. (laughs) What an event it is, a (laughs) nightly occurrence. And I think of myself as shutting my laptop Mm -hmm. or maybe I'll leave it on and listen Mm -hmm. to a nice TED talk. And then that moment is for me. So I prepare the meal, and I do it in a relaxed fashion, not banging pans around and getting frantic. Maybe put a wash on, go and like put my bedside light on, start spraying lavender spray, and it signals to my brain, we're getting into the evening time. And I start lowering the lights a little bit, and I put some music on or whatever, and I make the meal. If you're listening going, don't have time for that, that's why you need recipes that you can make in a hurry or make in a short amount of time. That's why mine are 30 minutes. Yeah, That's my happy. thing. I'm yeah. like, 30 minutes that are stress-free. So like I said, I'll cook. And then I've got a bit of time to watch TV, digest, and then I head into getting into bed, the bath, the shower. Am I making you feel sleepy? And I'm then just rolling like rolling oh, into bed can with a book. You
0: come and make me a bad time? <laughs> I think also that cooking for yourself is much more satisfactory when you sit down and eat it. You know. Sometimes, although sometimes it's nice when someone else does it, of isn't course, it? Of course, but yeah. I think that thing of knowing that you've done it yourself and you've, yeah. you know, is and as you said, knowing what's in it. Yeah, but when you've had a
2: shit day, you can feel really good when your dinner turns out right. I think that's mm. another thing. I was talking to someone, I went to this literary festival in Dubai, and this man was saying to me that lots of authors love to cook because they'll be by themselves all day and they'll start really early and they'll write and then they'll go out and get some ingredients or they'll start cooking and it's their time to be someone else, time to be social and put a meal on the table. And especially if their writing has gone mm-hmm. badly all day, they get a meal on the table and they feel good and they feel renewed and all of these things ready for the next day. I mean, when I tell someone about my food, and especially when I use the word healthy eating, you can tell everyone's going, oh, I'll, get, I'll be hungry or it's complicated mm-hmm. or it's going to be bland and boring. And I'm like, first and foremost, it's got to be satisfying and delicious. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you'll never go back to it. or you'll go, which is what you want to avoid, is the swinging from eating one way to eating another way you don't yeah, want to swing sort
0: of one minute junk and then the next yeah there's no Only need to sleeves yeah there's
2: no need so this pizza restaurant opened up in my area and I went to go and try it out and I was with someone and they were like oh do you think that like if someone saw you eating pizza first of all no one would care but she's like do you eat pizza I was like yeah I'm not going to order a pizza to my home because I feel like I can't cook anything else mm. but if you're going out for pizza I'll come and eat pizza with you And I'm not eating the pizza because I'm having a cheat day or I think I deserve it. I'm eating a pizza because we're all going, it's supposed to be really good pizza. And if I'm going to eat pizza, I want it to be a really good one. Same with a croissant, Mm -hmm. same with a burger. I've been doing this now for about seven, eight years. And when Jazz and I first started, it was hard to go to a restaurant and ask for vegetables. We're not vegetarians, but do you remember like what the menus looked like seven years ago eight years ago you couldn't ask for vegetables Mm. on the side you couldn't mess with the menu because the chef knows best Mm. and you were scared of the waiting staff and the, the waiters and waitresses and now there's this lovely interaction where you can go in and you can say oh my friend's vegetarian my friend is celiac so we need to really watch out for her what can we have for the table and the staff now in a great place know their food inside out because Mm -hmm. they're being fed that food, they're not getting given rubbish meals they're actually eating the food, the chef's proud, everybody that works there is proud of it there's an interaction between the customer and the people serving you and most importantly they want you to come back again Mm -hmm. right, so they want you to have a nice meal so I was just in my cafe and I go there to, you know, it's only a teeny tiny cafe and I go there and did a bit of work, had a meeting and then I'm listening in to how our team is chatting and what people are asking because it's Mm. great to get feedback on what people are looking for and how they understand the menu and what they want from it and that's how it should be. It shouldn't be, you come here, give me money, I put food in front
0: of you, you eat it and you leave. Mm. Otherwise, go home and look after yourself at home. I find it incredible that I can go almost anywhere now and I can buy a ginger shot or something with turmeric in it. And there's a lot of people who confuse that sort of thing with faddiness, you know. And actually, it isn't faddy to kind of want to eat well for your body. And of course, there are always going to be the people that take it to the extremes and use it as a way of controlling their food. For me, as someone who had... I was bulimic for like a long period of my teens and 20s and actually it's amazing education for me to know that food can be used as a sort of almost as medicine you can love food you don't have to be scared of it like I was always scared of food Mm. or to me it was like a drug I'd Mm. use it to get high I'd use it to to, does that make sense I'd Mm. sort of let it control me and I think that it's really important to kind of know that you can love food and embrace it and make it work for you and even if you've had that history of yeah even more so if you had that history well actually food therapy right
2: I do a lot of cooking classes so tomorrow night I've got a cooking class then this is a charity one so someone auctioned me off and so I haven't met these people and I don't know what I'm getting and you know When I chop with someone that I've never met, you get the whole life story because obviously we're looking down, we're not looking at each other, we're chopping celery or herbs and things come out and even people that might not necessarily say they have a particular relationship with food, it starts to come out Mm -hmm. and what I'm realising is that we all have something, whether or not when we were kids and we were treated and rewarded or punished by Mm. food, if we didn't have much food, if our mother was scared of food or didn't ever eat at the table if you never ate together if you didn't cook there's so many different ways but I think the most important thing is now talking about being grown-ups as we did earlier we can take charge of the way we eat and feel about food and I have so many wonderful messages and I keep all of these messages in a folder in my email folder and I save them on my phone from people who say cooking your recipes because they're easy, because you're home cooks, and I can identify with you has helped me feel less scared about food and I think for anyone even if you're a, you know know how we all say we're foodies but so many people are foodies and love to eat out but don't cook at home Mm. and it's everybody's choice you can choose where you want to eat your meals but I think it's important to not be scared of the, the kitchen so even if you just know you can make a meal but you don't choose to is a big one and a lot of them and they're girls and boys I mean grown ups they're ladies and men they'll say to me I've tried your recipes I have like a couple up my sleeve whenever if i need to really look after myself i'll go back to those recipes time and time again and it helps me feel control is such a funny one because a lot of people will say don't let food control you but it forms a more healthy relationship with food i don't mm. know if i explained that right
0: i think it's really powerful i think the idea that you can i also love what you just said about when you do cooking classes with people and you're chopping together and you get their stories yeah and I think we need to do a lot more of that together. You know, the convenience, fast food, and I think that a lot of that gets lost in the kind of clean eating thing. You know, people go, oh, and they just kind of dismiss it outright. And actually, I don't think you're proponents of clean eating. You're just proponents of, of eating healthy, mm. happy, hearty food. You're not saying don't have fat or don't have, you know, chocolate or don't, as, as I know. So I, I just, just gave you some fat and chocolate, didn't
2: I? I think most important thing... And this is why your podcast, sorry to just bang on about, but I am such a fan of your podcast and I want to tell you, the thing is, is that everyone has a different story. This is what comes up. Everyone has a different story. Everybody has got their fears and anxieties around all sorts of things and food being one of them. And we eat three times a day ish. You right? have
0: to eat. This is the yeah. thing that people, sorry. I'm. Not yeah, saying, no, no. Just, but, Tell me. Um, I find it really interesting because food is a problem for a lot of people. The term comfort eat sounds kind of all nice and warm and cosy but actually it can be a real problem for people. I am of the opinion that obesity is as much of a mental illness as it is of a physical one because it's about filling some, it's of like that hole in, your, void. hole in your soul but I'm not saying that beating alcoholism or drug addiction is easy because it's clearly not but You don't have to drink alcohol three times a day. You don't have to inject yourself with heroin three times a day or take cocaine three times a day. We have to eat to stay alive. So it becomes a huge problem. You know, it is a real problem because you have to confront that every day, as you're saying. So if you have to confront it, then let's at least do it in a kind of healthy way. In a way, I think if you've got half an
2: hour once a week or once every two weeks is make a massive pan of soup... Everyone's always like, that's the most boring thing on the menu. Yeah, I'm
0: going to say my eyes are not lighting up. Your eyes are not
2: sparkling, okay? It's not not the same as the paradise, (laughs) but... No, bear with me. So you make this pan of soup, and we'll come back to what's in it. So by saying to yourself, I'm going to make something lovely for myself... Okay, so at the moment you're like, oh, it sounds a bit boring, but just let's just say it's lovely. I'm going to make something lovely for myself now. If you want, you could portion it all up and not eat any of it that day. It's like a forward paying gift to myself. So I'm going to make this master pan of soup and it's going to be delicious, whatever that delicious soup is for you. And then I'm going to put tons of it in the freezer for a rainy day or a day I feel low or a day that I need some comfort or a day that I have no money or a day that um, I've got no motivation, and it's in there. And then I'm going to take the rest of it, and I'm going to give it to my neighbour or a colleague or somebody that needs something cheering up or someone that's moved into the area or someone that... Who's going to say no to a lovely soup made with love? Now, whenever I say that to people, I do get the
0: same <laughs> reaction that you've just done, which no, is slightly but, switching but, off. But then you've just followed it up... I <laughs> Have make I made feel it better? like, oh... <laughs> warm and lovely inside. So
2: And that soup can be anything. So it could be a lovely cauliflower soup that you could grate chocolate chocolate soup. soup. (laughs) It could be a cauliflower soup that you grate cheese on top of. Um, Could be a chocolate soup. (laughs) It could be a chocolate soup with more grated chocolate on top. (laughs) And a little chocolate crouton on top. Or it could be, you know, like a lovely chicken Tom Yum soup. It could be a gorgeous coconutty dal that you can sure. fry an egg on. I'm off. like, yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> Am I'm I getting there now? And my neighbours are listening to this going, she ain't fucking bringing that Do your neighbours listen to this? You no, know. I don't know if my neighbours listen to this. Shout, out, shout out
2: to her neighbours. It's
0: not the kind of... I wish, no, I wish I could make a coconut dal. You can, it's the easiest thing in the world to make I know, I know, I know I know, I have issues, you know, I know and I'm really, ple- and I've got your cookbook on my kitchen I have a little section of cookbooks and I do keep looking at it and I know that food is something I have to but anyway, that's a really good point isn't it you know you like
2: my food well, something's stopping you from making it so maybe, mm. you know in the next couple of months I'll check in with you just to see if you've tried something. But isn't that funny? Like, you know you want to, you know it'll make you feel better. Yeah. But everything else gets in the way and life does. Here's an interesting one. So I've done, this is my third book. So I've got my friend Ruth. She lives in Leicester. She's a single mum and her daughter is my goddaughter. Now, She's obviously bought my other two books and she's the most supportive person and she's always telling her friends, she makes all her sisters buy my books. But she's never, I've now realised, made anything from the books. And then with this one, I really needed her to help me out because when I was writing this one, I decided to also get a wreck in deep East London, try and do it all up with no money whatsoever. Mm. So I was living at my mother's. I tested the whole book on like a little Ikea induction hob. And had to wash up and get water from the bath, and the bath's all turmeric stain now, and blah blah blah. Worry with me, <laughs> but, your loves but yeah, she she was very good and patient with me. I was a nightmare. But I had to call on all my friends and say, do you know what, I know you do a lot for me, but you really got to help me test these recipes. And so my friend Ruth, she finishes work late, her kid stays in the crèche as part of work. She's not the person that cooks. So I asked her to just choose four recipes. So she picked like a ragu, a lentil chili, and a couple of others. And she faithfully, and didn't want to do it, made them. And she made massive packs of them, vats of them. She just would feedback on all the recipes. She said, I love it, love it, love it. And I was like, thank you, friend, you're great. Then about a month later, she starts texting me pictures of her dinner. (laughs) And I was thinking, oh, you bless you, you're trying the recipes again. No, she was working her way through the freezer. And she had so much food that she was sharing it with her sisters, her Mm -hmm. work colleagues. And now every single month, so that was about a year ago was when I finished that book. And now once a month, she just has an hour and a half and she nails three recipes and she puts them in the freezer and then she doesn't cook during the week so when she reheats them she'll add things to them like she'll maybe throw in some salad with it or some make some pasta for her kid or whatever but for the first time ever I've actually done what I thought I was doing all these books ago, which Mm. is helping people with not enough time realise that they could incorporate it and make it lovely. It's my biggest joy when she texts me a picture and she's like, here's your goddaughter eating tonnes of vegetables in her chilli and I've not even cooked anything, I've just warmed it up. And it's brilliant. So she was somebody I thought that she was cooking, she wasn't. And now she's like, I can't believe you converted me. It's once a month, once a month she puts a bit of effort in. She can shop from her freezer each shelf of her freezer's got, like, three different things in it. She's got a Malaysian curry there, she's got her ragu,
0: mm. she's got all these things. I love that soup analogy. I just wanted to ask you, your relationship with food, has that always been good? Is it something, or have you ever had any tricky, kind of...
2: I've definitely had tricky moments. Actually, very. I was very young when I started having tricky, tricky relationships with food. I was about 11. I sort of really struggled with... So, you see how tall I am now, 5'9"? Mm-hmm. I was this height when I was about 11, right? 10 or 11. So I was super tall. We'd moved around quite a bit, dad being in the army. And when I got to one of my schools when I was about eight, I think I was lucky. Jazz went to way more schools because she's older than me. I got there and I was twice the size of everybody, literally. And all my best friends. I've got so many blonde, blue-eyed tiny best friends. And my mum always used to tell the story and I'd be like, Mum, stop telling the story because I'd find it embarrassing. But she said that one day when she went to pick me up, my friends ran towards me to say goodbye or maybe she was dropping me off. And she said that I managed to pick up three of them in one go and (laughs) swing them around. And I used to hate it because I always felt really manly. Mm. I always had to play the man. I was was about to say I was really good at netball. I wasn't really good at netball, but I was tall. Tall, (laughs) exactly. And I remember my coach not meaning to say it to me in a nasty way but she used to call me the the green giant you know like the sweet corn mm-hmm. man I don't know it must have really affected me but I was really really shy and self conscious and now and I was thinking about the word self conscious today actually when I was writing my happiness list or going over it or telling someone about it and I am so sick of feeling self conscious mm. it is so crippling because you realise how many things you feel self conscious of And I remember just very much, at that age, thinking, I'm ashamed of my body, I don't like the way I look. I felt so tall, I was so in love with Ronan Keating. And I think I read that he was 5'8". And I was like, he's (laughs) never gonna want me. (laughs) On that note of Ronan Keating, I had to sit opposite him once at a dinner. Only time in my entire life I've not eaten my dinner. I could not breathe, let alone chew. And so, yeah, I definitely started to control the way I ate which is silly in, in many ways because I was never going to be able to shrink my height. But I felt very unfeminine at 11. And I really remember, and I have, I kept a lot of diaries and I just read them now and it's painful seeing what I was going through. And I think also because I was young, mm. people weren't looking out for dodgy relationships with food then. And I was very sporty and I was a large personality, but I was so shy about that. So I really get it. You know, when you compliment someone, and you think they look absolutely gorgeous Mm. and you know they can't hear it or see it and they don't believe you. We all Mm. have moments, sadly, where we just don't think we're looking like we want to look. But I think because I had that at 10 or 11 and I worked on it for a lot of years, that I think I've... Going back to when we know that we're getting to that point where we're too hard on ourselves or we're, we're about to blow, I can see it. And I don't now use food and I haven't for many years, to punish or reward, and I think that's a really big one. So if I ever feel self-conscious about anything, I don't use food to punish or reward.
0: Would you say that part of that was why you decided to kind of go through the food or whatever and you made a career out of...?
2: Actually, no. The reason I made a career out of this is because I, I love the joy of when you put something down in front of someone and... It makes them sparkle like you did. And then it makes them happy when they finish the meal. And I also love what I said before, which is someone saying, I haven't got confidence in myself. When they say I haven't got confidence in the kitchen, they say I haven't got confidence in myself. That's Mm -hmm. what they mean. And I love turning that around. When I see people literally bounce out of my classes, and I am not a chef. You know, like we said before, like, Mm -hmm. I mean, a chef is a professional cook, so I guess I am. But, you know, I cannot chop nicely. My presentation is whack but when you show someone how easy it is to put a decent plate of food together that ticks all the boxes of satisfying and lovely and full of veg and you know that they can make it part of their lives and I love it when my food becomes part of someone's life so I, I'm really keen for you to try that soup because I think you will and I think you'll text me and be like I'm making that soup again <laughs> but yeah I don't think it was that but because I've gone through that I get it I can sense it you can sense so much more often than not people have got like I said before a particular history with food mm. But I also love it when someone says, not to be flippant, but they're like, I hate cauliflower. This is obviously completely different from the relationship with people. was like, I hate cauliflower, don't make me any food with cauliflower in it. And I love turning them in that way too, because we shouldn't ever have to fear any type of food. Like, oh my God, there's a pea in it, I can't eat it. Yeah. I think the most important thing as well is, I didn't start cooking until I was early 20s. I was spoiled, mom was cooking, I didn't hang off her apron strings, she never taught me to bake. I grew up watching Ready Steady Cook, I grew up watching Jamie's, I thought when I watched that first episode of Jamie's very first series, I was like, wow, you know when Mm. he'd like, Jules would come round and he was like, Jules I've made you this, and he'd be like, Jules comes home late from work and I've got this fish and a parcel for her, and I was like, oh wow, if I could do that for Ronan, you know, I was like, wow, food is something that you can do for somebody, food is a way that you can show your love, food is amazing. You don't have to be stupendously fantastic at it. I was watching MasterChef. Me and my mum were eating dinner last night and then we were watching TV and I was like, I want to watch Marcella. But my mum was like, I want to watch MasterChef. See, I find MasterChef
0: more stressful than watching Marcella. Do you know Marcella? It is. It's that voice of the woman who makes it sound like (laughs) she is announcing that the contestants have a terminal illness rather than that they've just baked a souffle. You could do this show. That was so good.
2: (laughs) But I watch that and I'm like, that to me is stressful. But of course they're in a competition and that's why people love it because it is it is great. But I do think sometimes we've... And maybe I'm guilty of it too because I put pretty pictures on Instagram of my food. We've sort of felt like we have to make our food look as amazing as it tastes or we have to put 25 different herbs on it. But, I mean, I use, I always say in my classes, use herbs, use a couple of pomegranate seeds or just use some good old-fashioned raisins yes. to cover up when it looks a bit dodge. I think that you can actually spin things around and use some accents of colour do you like that Yeah, I do. to cover up a bit of burn a bit where it's fallen apart a bit but we do not have to make food or singing or dancing at the end of the day sorry to come back to a bowl of soup if you make a soup really well it is a thing of beauty what was i telling you about my mum yeah anyway Master chef f- freaked me out and made me nervous so i couldn't ever go on that nor would they want me <laughs>
0: <laughs> is there one food that you will not eat
2: Ooh. Well, my boyfriend's in Tokyo at the moment and he keeps sending me pictures of live fish.
0: Yeah, that's I draw the line. I'm I'm not into that.
2: But my first food memory, I remember my mum, I can remember the feeling of the carpet on my bum, me sitting on the floor and my mum had boiled lots of prawns up and she was dipping them oh your face isn't keen Um, my mum she'd boiled lots of prawns up but they were sweet and lovely it's the
0: juxtaposition of the carpet and the prawns I'm like I
2: don't know what's going (laughs) to happen here where's this
0: story going to end Melissa (laughs) no I just (laughs) vividly
2: remember <laughs> the feeling no, the sorry the carpet has nought to do with the prawns but I remember her oh so this is this is another thing I remember her dipping these little prawns in vinegar and salt and feeding me mm. and I had this really I really made my mum feed me with her fingers till a very ripe age until
0: I was 24 yeah literally I used to love <laughs> I used last to, night was she feeding me she was with? feeding
2: me while we watched MasterChef I used to make my sister sleep in bed with me and I used to make my mum feed me with her fingers but my mum's from the Philippines you know you eat with your fingers mm. And it used to taste better off her fingers. Sorry, that sounds weird. Your but I obviously don't do it so now. Nice. Like I, They're all right. They drive me nuts sometimes. You that's know, I work what with family's my supposed to. It'll they be, do, It would yeah. be
0: way weirder if you told me that you got on with your family and they were amazing and you've never... I haven't a bad word to say about any of them. <laughs> I'd be like... She's a weirdo.
2: (laughs) (laughs) No, she's good. My mum's with the sort of family that will go... And this is another thing. When my dad was ill, we used to cheer him up with food. So we would take him food in every day. And, of course, he didn't really want to eat much and he didn't want to smell it. But even in the hospitals, the doctors and nurses would be like, what have you got in the thermos today? Anything we could do to tempt him to eat more. We've always been a family where it's like three months before Easter we'll be like what shall we have on Easter day we just love planning menus and my dad was you know he travelled a lot so he always loved Georgian food and he spent a lot of time in Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan and Russia and I remember once he brought back some smoked fish and then Jazz cooked it and he didn't think it was good enough and he really upset Jazz <laughs> but you know at the same time I didn't know what was Asian food and what was English food for years you know because my mum would sort of put a fish sauce into like scrambled eggs and stuff and when I was younger she wanted me to be a doctor or i told her i think at one point i was going to be a doctor and then she was like oh okay it's a done deal <laughs> so i did all the science there you know, she still says that but she would be like let's feed you for brains and beauty my mom's like a big fan she calls it bb she's like whatever you do use your brain and your beauty look after yourself she means that like mm. not be beautiful for someone else but feel good but use your brain and she would pack me smoked mackerel in my lunchbox and everyone else got a penguin and i got a bit of smoked mackerel
0: cheers i I know i think that's really sweet i could listen to you talk about food for like hours on end will you teach me how to do some cooking yes and maybe we could do a cook along. Do I don't know how a cooking podcast would work, but we can maybe film it for yeah. the website. <laughs> Kimberly, can we? Are we allowed any
2: electrics in here? No flame, I obviously. Studio on fire, though. So. No. I, what if I bring an induction hob? You can't set that alight
0: put it past health and safety. We'd put it, okay, <laughs> just come to mine. Just come, oh, yeah, to okay, please, Kimberly, great. how much kit do you need to bring? Let's go. Let's just go. Let's we? go now. Well, let's go now. No. I love your thing that making food is like an act of love, and it's an act of self-care, and we don't have to be scared of food. No. And I am so pleased you came on, and not just because you bought us chocolates, just to any other future podcast guests... If you want to bring us chocolate or any kind of nice food, you're more than welcome to. You're such a joy and you've just got this really positive energy and I could just, yeah, I could talk to you for hours. I want you to feed me with your fingers, please. <laughs> oh my God, that sounded almost sexual, didn't it? Almost sexual. Melissa Hemsley, thank you so much for coming on thank Mad you. World. Thank you, Eat it. Happy is out now and available from all good bookshops and Amazon. And what are you on Instagram? At melissa.hemsley don't tag the other Melissa Hemsey because she won't like it sure. she's a private account you are not a private account you are a very public open. account and it'll cheer you up to see all those colourful dresses every day thank you Melissa thank you
1: if you've been affected by anything we've talked about in our podcast today a comprehensive list of mental health services is available on our website which is www.telegraph.co.uk forward slash madworld If you want help right now, the following organisations offer free and confidential support over the phone. The Samaritans can be reached 24 hours a day, seven days a week on 116 123. Or you can contact the mental health charity Mind for advice on a range of mental health issues. Their phone number is 0300 123 3393. That's 0300 123 3393. they're accessible 9am to 5pm, Monday to Friday, excluding bank holidays. Finally, there's Young Minds, who provide support if you're a parent or a carer worried about a child's welfare. They're on 0808 802 5544. That's 0808 802 5544. And remember this, you are not alone.
0: Hi, I'm Emily Cronin. If you're enjoying this podcast from The Telegraph, why not try Fashion Unzipped? It's a show where we invite you into the conversations we have every day on the fashion
2: desk. All the chat, none of the deadlines. Plus, you get to hear from designers. Whether it's glitter
1: or leopard,
0: we just can't get enough of it. Supermodels. There was only one girl
2: every year that was a plus-size model that had her big moment. And then that's all you would see of those girls. And some of the brightest minds in fashion. His legacy is the epitome of style and chic. Subscribe to Fashion Unzipped by searching Fashion Unzipped on Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast supplier. Hold
1: up.